0: Join our organizations, listen to people that are more experienced. It's something that is gonna take work and it's not gonna happen immediately, but it begins to snowball. The more exposure you get, it only makes you look better for other areas. And so social media, networking, taking classes, doing your own independent research, all those things will help you improve your position as an artist.
1: Welcome to the Passionate Painter Podcast. I'm your host, Caroline Italia Carlson. Whether your art is a full-time career or your side gig, if you are passionate about creating art, this podcast is for you. Don't worry about taking notes. I'll do that for you. And you can find them at passionatepainterpodcast.com. Welcome to part two of my interview in progress with collage artist G.J. Gillespie. In this episode, we discuss ways to improve your art. We dig deep into the challenge of pricing your art. We talk about Gary's art supply company, Lita Art Supply, as well as his company's Trusted Creators program. And Gary gives his best advice for artists seeking exposure for their art. If you haven't yet listened to part one, I recommend going back and listening to that first, to hear Gary's bio, and our discussion on getting published in journals and other tactics Gary uses to gain exposure for his art. We also talk about his creative process, as well as his creative voice. Part 1 is available at PassionatePainterPodcast.com, slash episode 97. Don't forget to join my podcast insider circle for free downloadable ebooks, cheat sheets and checklists exclusively for my podcast insiders and students. You'll also receive a reusable coupon for the lowest price available on all of my self-paced online courses. Sign up for free in the sidebar at passionatepainterpodcast.com. Since you have retired and been able to focus largely on your creative Pursuits and you have the business. You've got Lita Art Supply. What has been the biggest challenge you faced in your art, your fine art career as it is now? And how did you tackle it?
0: Well, I think my biggest challenge was that I started late in life as an artist. So, unlike people that went to art school and spent 20 or 30 years perfecting their craft, I didn't have the thousands of hours that are necessary to be fluent as an artist and so to make up for that i took classes like i said i i studied art i've been to museums in los angeles and san francisco and seattle and i bring my sketchbook with me here's my sketchbook i bring my sketch we, we were just over in the museum in McConnor, um, washington over here where where they have an art auction one of my pieces is there so i was taking i was sketching and, and I just immerse myself in art history and take classes and I watch videos of uh, artists that I admire and try, just trying to kind of make up for the fact that I didn't go to art school. A lot of the art classes are, are really good. And sometimes people think you have to get an MFA, but you don't really need to because you can just take the classes that interest you and then you just make the art. And so I've been, I've been doing that. Uh, Also, to make up for the fact that I started late, uh, I chose a collage because I figured that if I was going to do oil or acrylic, it takes decades to be good at that. Uh, But with a collage, it can be more visceral and rough, like you said, and it's okay because it's more like folk art or outsider art. So the collage element has helped. Uh, Another Way that I've made up for starting late is I have uh, uh, relationships with other artists that that help me and mentor me. And probably the, the most significant thing that has helped me is just having my wife who's very into art. She understands art, uh, our, our color theory and she's done a lot of different types of art and taken a lot of classes over the years. So I started late. She's been doing it since, since high school and she'll critique me. And so you have to have somebody that's willing to critique it. And so like, like I'll work on a piece and I'll say, okay, Teresa, what do you think? And she'll say, no, you got to add, you got to get rid of this, got to get rid of this black line here. You got to add some purple or, or something like that. So whatever she says I will do, and it's really saved a lot of my work. So you have to have somebody that can help, help mentor and guide you and critique your work. And those are things that have that have helped me make up for the fact that I started late. And that's the biggest challenge that I've had. And I'm still working on it.
1: Aren't we all? Yeah, I I know my listeners have heard me say that my one complaint, I, I adore my husband, he's incredibly supportive. And my basically one complaint with him critiquing my work is that he's infallibly honest when he, something bothers him about the work, which is great. He will tell me no matter what, whether I want to hear it or not, he's going to be honest. And that's the good thing. But then he doesn't always know how to tell me what's wrong with it in his eyes. So he'll say, I don't know what's wrong with it or how to fix it. It just doesn't look good. (laughs) And I'm like, thank you? Because where do you go from there? So we're working on that one. And I try to guide him on how to critique me and say, can you be specific? Can you bracket this and tell me is it the shape or the line or the balance and so we're working on communicating what of those things that he thinks might be off are bothering him so that he can guide me because he's got a good eye he just needs to be able to be able to verbalize it
0: yes yeah, some, sometimes people don't have the the terms and the language they know, they know that it's good, but they can't explain it. Or they, they know this is a problem, but they don't have the, the background in it. But uh, you still can get a lot of valuable information from people that are, aren't really educated in, in, in this.
1: Yeah. And he, he does have a good eye. And most of the time when he finds something's bothering him, I do change the piece. But then I've got to go in and really think about what it is that he's trying to tell me because he has the objective eye. And the other thing I can definitely recommend to my listeners is take photos as you finish each session. If you do your, if you paint like I do, I do my paintings in sessions. So I'll paint for three or four hours at a time and then I'll take a break and then I'll come back to it. And at the end of each session, I've learned to take a photo because I can tell you one of the most frustrating moments when my husband came into my studio was when he said, and he was right, but he said to me, Something about the mouth, it looked better before. I like the way you had it. And I know he was right. There was something off, but I was trying to think, what was it before? It's not like a computer when you can just hit undo, you know? And I had to go back and look and think that something was off. And then I was able to eventually come around to it. But if you take those periodic photos, you know, the person that's helping you to see objectively can even point to it and say, that one. At this stage, the mouth was good, even though you weren't done with perhaps the eyes or something else. So that's helped me.
0: Using the the camera is a, a great tool.
1: It is, it is, and and it is my absolute go to at the at the end of sessions or when I think I'm finished. Is take that photo and then take a break, and when you're ready to really look at it. Come back and look at the photos you've taken because it's going to tell you if in fact it's done. It's going to be objective. And if you're honest with yourself, you're going to be able to look at it and say, you know what? I would submit this to a show right now or something is going to jump out at you because of the flattening effect of that photo. You're going to be able to go, whoa, you know, this thing over here is, is glaring. It needs attention that you might not have seen after standing in front of that piece of art for Four hours straight. So yeah. it's going to be that objective voice.
0: Yeah, sometimes you make a piece and you fall in love with it, and the next day it looks doesn't look as good. Or sometimes I make a piece and I think, uh, eh, this isn't that good." And then, like several months later, wait a minute, this this is okay. And so having a perspective, a larger perspective than the immediate response, I think is helpful.
1: It is. And working on more than one piece at a time can help with that for sure, so that you can take a break and work on something else and go back to it and have that fresh eye. That's been something else that's been helpful to me.
0: I usually do two or three things at once.
1: Yes. Yes, absolutely. Now, tell me how you set, do you sell your works outright on your website? Tell me if you do, how do you set your pricing? Or is it strictly something that you look for exposure through shows and the journals, but you're not necessarily looking to sell unless someone asks you about a piece?
0: Yeah. Selling has not been a super big priority for me, although I would like to sell. My, my website doesn't have the the, the function for, for selling, which is hard. Um, if people want to buy, they'd have to contact me, which is one more barrier. But they have. I have sold things. Uh, that way. I think uh, I was in a show at the Cascadia Art Museum in Edmonds, which is a suburb of Seattle, and the show was part of the Northwest Collage Society. And it was supposed to be uh, inspired by the Northwest Mystics, which are Mark Toby, Morris Graves, and Kenneth Callahan. And those guys, I, I love those those, that type of art. So I had some stuff that I could use. And one of them was a a picture of horses and abstract uh, cubes and things that I kind of borrowed from Kenneth Callahan. And then another one was Kenneth Callahan has a sort of a ghostly figure in a rowboat with giant fish underneath of it. So I took that piece, I stretched it, and instead of a rowboat, I made the guy uh, standing on a paddleboard, and I used the same colors and things. And the last day of the show, it sold, and then I got an award for the other one. So I like to sell, and I think maybe I'll be working on that in the future. Uh, art gardener, Timothy Haggart, he, uh, he's a professional artist also, and he, he does mowing yards to pay for his you know family, but he also is in all of the art walks, the fairs, He's going to be having a show at his house, uh, and he's going to have 10 different artists there. It's all part of the Woody Allen art that they're going to have. And so I think next year, Teresa and I might be involved in that. So the more you network with people, the more opportunities you find. Um, I, I have been in a gallery in Kirkland. I wasn't actually physically in it, but I was on their online part of their website. And one of those got sold. So yeah, I've sold, but it's not like I'm making a living from it because most of the money that I'm making from this is from my art supply company, Lita Art Supply, which I founded in 2016 with a former student. And we've sold 100,000 sketchbooks throughout the world. Uh, We have a warehouse in Houston and a warehouse in Northern Ireland, and we're we're trying to to uh, you know improve our our Profitability, because it's very competitive out there, but oftentimes we we're rank we rank ahead of Moleskine on, on Amazon, and we're coming out with uh, a square size and a landscape size, so that will be neat, and that's the, the idea that the art, art supply company is owned and founded by an artist kind of helps our branding.
1: Yeah, I think it does. I think there's a level of trust there that artists have for people who are in the field, the assumption that they get it, they know the struggles, they know the pain, and really what an artist is looking for by way of supplies and material support. I have a couple of questions here. And one of them, before I ask you about the business, because I do have questions about that, is... Regarding you telling me that you do sometimes sell the work, kind of, I think, backwards, and that you're not expecting necessarily not going into it with the purpose of selling, but then sometimes you'll end up selling a piece here and there. And that's kind of like icing on the cake for you because you're apparently don't realize how awesome your art is. (laughs) So, do you start going into those shows just in case with a concept of a price in mind, should somebody ask about it? Or do you just wing it when they come in and say, I have to have that how much is it and you go um you know and throw out a number yeah you you need to really
0: have a price and when i met with our art group that i was telling you about crystal who knows a lot about this stuff she uh, helped me come up with pricing because it has to be based on sort of your level uh, as an artist like i haven't been selling things worth thousands of dollars you know i haven't so i can't charge a thousand dollars so I, I'm more, and right now I'm at $340 for a 20 by 17 uh, inch piece. And each year you add a little bit more, like $20 to $40 to to match your experience. Uh, but I know that in in selling Amazon products, you have to price it according to the market. So I'd love to sell my sketchbook for $30, but no one's going to buy it. So you, you have to price it in comparison to what are similar products. And uh, as an artist, you have to be realistic. And so right now I've got a piece, a small piece at the auction at the uh, Northwest Museum of Art in La Connor over here. And it the show, the auction ends tonight, but I had to come up with a price. I didn't want to make it too low because I didn't want to make it sound cheap. And then the 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 museum takes a percentage because it is an auction. So it it turned out to be like $360 for one of these portraits that I made. And I think that uh, there is training or there is information on how to price art. I know when when I took the art up to Canada, the curator said, well, take 50 cents per square inch and add something for how many years you've been doing it. When I did that, it was like, no, that that puts it up into a thousand dollars, and I don't think anyone's gonna hit for a thousand dollars. So uh, pricing is is tough, but there is there there are people you can go to for for help on that. but I think pricing it according to the market is is good. It, you don't want to underprice it because then it doesn't it looks cheap and you can't have more than than it's worth. You can't be thousands and thousands of dollars like some of these highly successful people are. So I think other people might help with that answer more than me.
1: Well, I think you've given some interesting, valuable input in that you ask 50 people, trust me, having done this podcast so long, you ask 50 people how to price your work, you'll get 50 answers. So this is valuable in that people, our listeners in particular, can take the information that they that you're giving them right now and combine it with input from other artists that I've asked, because I ask almost everyone on the show about this, because there are so many different approaches. And my advice is to individually come up with a formula that works for you that matches your comfort level. If you have a business advisor on some level that they might agree with, or you can combine with their input. And I like that idea in my own method of combining business advice with people's experience With maybe going rates in your area or in your genre with the added element of your intuition. Does this feel right to you? Because as artists, we often incorporate and respect that element of emotional input or intuitive input. You know, the creative side is, does this feel right? Mm -hmm. So for me, I have a formula that I do use. But it's not as stiff as the word formula would probably indicate. It involves time. It involves materials. It involves the element of my experience level, which would incorporate the things you're talking about. How many years in the field? Again, you're going to think about what is the market going to be inputting into your pricing? And, you know, what is the demand for your particular art? Do you have an audience already in a gallery? or are you still getting out there, but you have tons of experience, or you, know, you have a certain pricing that you've already sold your paintings at. So there's all of these facets. And I think that all of them are legitimate. And I always recommend our artists, if they don't feel super secure in setting their own pricing, that they do tap a second source or an outside third party and say, hey, like some of these art coaches that I interview, what do you think about this? I'm thinking along these lines and get that input. And then either incorporate it, go with it, or see what your gut tells you when you get the feedback. And and it may give you the answer you need as to, no, that doesn't work for me. And then you might know more clearly what does work for you. You know, when you hear that feedback and they say, oh, no, I think your work should be $10,000 or $100 and you go, no, 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 that's not right. It should be this. Even sometimes just being able to gauge what your reaction is to the input you're getting from that person can also inform the collective formula that you might have for pricing your art.
0: Hmm, that's interesting. So you're saying that uh, our intuition as creative people can often be helpful in pricing.
1: I think so. Um I do I do use the intuition, but I use it in every area of my life. So in college I studied science and art at the same time for definitely for half of my college education I was in science and art at the same time. And I spent a number of years in science before I went to college. So for me, I like to combine both. I like to have a formula, I like to have a logic-based approach, something I can rely on that's very objective. And then I like to incorporate my intuition by really settling down and saying, okay, using a process that I've arrived at this number, does that feel right? And respecting that element of it and saying to myself, I don't like to just rely on intuition, but coming back and respecting the feedback I get from myself when I review the results of my approach and say, does that feel okay? And the combination of those two things, for me, works. I recently had a commission that I wasn't prepared for. Somebody walked in. I was actually at my design job, my day job, which is a media specialist in design. And somebody came in and said, you know, I have I had my paintings on my office wall. And they said, do you take commissions? And I said, yep. And they said, can you do a specific commission that would be about such and such size in this or that medium. And so they gave me the parameters of what they had in mind. And they said, can you give me a price? And I remembered the advice that I came by in the process of doing all these interviews, which is very helpful, which is do not, unless you're extremely confident in that price and have a lot of experience in that particular type of assignment, do not give the price immediately. Take a step back. The first thing is to step back and let yourself have that space of saying, I'll get back to you. And that's okay. The comfort level with being able to step back and saying, yes, I can give you a price. And no, I'm not going to give it to you right now. I will get back to you.
0: Oh. Mm-hmm.
1: And that that's hard. Artists, a lot of times, I think, can fall into wanting to people, please. I'm not going to say across the board, everyone's different. But for me, That's something I had to watch out for is to want this person to be happy with the answer because I'm flattered that they asked, right? Mm -hmm. So I said, I'll get back to you. Then I took, I did get back to them that day because I knew actually the assignment was quite time pressing. It was for an upcoming event. I took a step back and I took a break and I actually typed up a quote. And that's something else I recommend in that it helps you to step back and For me, at least, all of these things are, this is what works for me. But to put on my business hat and put my logo on it, set it up as a form letter, because I didn't have at the time access to my normal forms that I would use because I wasn't actually my home studio. It also made me realize I need to have my usual quote forms in Google Drive or something online so that I can grab it and download it with a, a quality logo. Should somebody walk in off the street and say, hey, you know, I like the painting that you have in your office. So I was able to throw together a quote based on how I normally do it, but also based on feeling that, you know what, I'm so busy right now that if this person doesn't like this price, I can live with them walking away because of the deadline of this assignment. It was going to be due, I had about a month, but if you subtract making sure, absolutely sure that this thing was framed and ready to go, given that deadline, that leaves me about three weeks to a really hard deadline. And I would want to come in early in case there was a problem. Or God forbid it got dropped on the on the floor before I handed it over, right? Something building out that that disaster preparedness. Or the client said, you know what, I hate it, which isn't likely because you check in as you go. If it's a commissioner on a tight deadline, you're gonna to want to take photos and send them and say, progress report. This way they can go, whoa, 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 what's that frog in the corner? Or they hate purple, change it, you know, something. So I was aiming for two weeks, just in case. And given the price I gave them, I thought, I can live with this if they say, forget it. And so then I took a deep breath, and I took the quote to them in person. But because I have a problem in my own self often with that wanting to please and wanting to make the other person comfortable, often at the expense of myself as an artist, in the moment, in person, I typed it up. I put it in an envelope, I walked it to them and I handed them the quote. And they said, oh, oh, that was quick. So here I took a couple hours. They're thinking it's the same day, it's quick, it's hand delivered. And I busied myself with looking at the photos on their office walls while they looked at this quote. I said nothing. I let this typed up quote speak for me and decided that that's legitimate. And you know what it was? And the client looked at it And as I was wandering around their office, he nodded and he said, you know what? That's about exactly what I expected. And I thought, phew, but I could live with it either way at that point. And I think that's an indication if you run that through your filters. Can I live with this price if the person walks? Uh Oh, and that may have to do with your position in your industry at that time. Do you have a lot of experience? Have you had a lot of commissions where at that point, if you don't get one more, you can, you can be okay with it. If you're not and you want, for instance, say the prestige of this particular or that particular assignment, you may quote lower in order to get another commission to put on your resume. But at the same time, depending on who that client is, They may expect a quote of a certain level, or they may not respect the quote. They may start thinking, gee, maybe I should have gone to someone else. Mm -hmm. And that actually factored into my pricing. What will this person of this particular industry expect in coming to me so so late for a very quick turnaround, but a very high expectation of output? They're going to want to feel like they went to a pro, because they need it on a tight turnaround and they need to know for that tight turnaround, this person is likely to succeed with what they're hoping to receive in exchange for that price.
0: So do you think that you, you had a high price and that that impressed him or?
1: I think I was lucky in that it was a higher price than I normally in my past, based on the past commissions, would have been comfortable putting out there. But it felt like the right price for the assignment. So I don't think it was a high price. I think my old self, who was afraid to ask for what I was worth, would have said, gee, you're going to ask for that. And I thought, ironically, the fact that I would consider that possibly a high price probably indicates that I'm actually on the right track for what it's worth.
0: Mm. Because I
1: know, I'm going to say to our listeners that, Part of my confirmation and experience in learning to price myself properly was knowing myself and knowing that one of my weaknesses had been underpricing myself. So I was able to take what I came up with and then raise it a little bit and say, okay, maybe maybe I think of my friend. What would she price this assignment at? And what would she think if she saw this commission? Would she say, that price is accurate, or would she go, come on, Caroline, you know, that's not accurate. That's that's below what you're worth. So if you're self-conscious, try thinking about what somebody that you respect that's in the industry would price that work themselves. Is your work comparable in quality and experience and pricing history? And what would they tell you if you gave them that price, knowing you and being a supportive person? Someone that knows your work and knows you as a person that you know that they care about you and about your pricing yourself at what you're worth. So that can help to step outside yourself and be more objective. Don't stay in your own head so much. Try and put on the hat of somebody else that would be looking at this for you that cares about you and and as a professional, not just your mom, who's going to say, oh, it's worth a million dollars. You know, thanks, mom. But that helped me. And the fact that this person... I didn't want to overprice it because this person has a high standing in their industry, but I wanted to price it knowing that that being the case, this person would respect me for not giving them too low of a price, factoring that in without just inflating a price because of who this person is. Basically, the combination of those things, putting them together and being able to do so because I took a step back. And said, okay, let me think about client, client expectations, deadline, the pressure this is putting on me, my current schedule, my ability to deliver, how and when I'm going to be able to deliver, am I going to have to not sleep for four days because of this deadline, which wasn't the case, but I had to really be very intentional about my time until that assignment was completed. So those things all factor in, I think, especially on commission work.
0: Okay. Yeah, I know that in education, we have something called best practices. Yes. Where you learn field what other people are doing, and you can learn that easily online or talking to people like you.
1: Yes. And actually, at the time, I did send out two emails when I got the unexpected commission, because I needed. To, I felt that I needed to give this person an answer same day. I felt that because of the turnaround, if I didn't produce an answer, and hopefully the right answer for this person's comfort level, that they would have to go to someone else because they needed this to get done. So I emailed, I did email a colleague, I thought about her and what she would do. And then I emailed her. And luckily, she responded right away. And I emailed a business coach of mine who I felt would give me some of the support I needed to take that step. And they didn't come back with a price. I knew they wouldn't because they said, you know the price that you're going to need to charge. They gave me really license to step up to trust my own feeling on what is the right price. But they said, make sure that you respect what you're worth. So they gave me that kind of boost. And I think those things are important and valid.
0: Well, that's good. I know that we have uh, multiple intelligences and creative people often lack on the business practical side. And so you need to have friends that can come by your side and help you. And I know that for me, I have my partner, uh, Kyle Hamer, who's a former student. He was one of my top debaters and he's very good with business and he's a business consultant now. So we're a pretty good team. I'm the creative side and he's the business side.
1: And that's perfect. And Mm -hmm. the flip side of thinking, what would my friend tell me I should charge knowing the industry and the maybe that slot in the art world that I'm fulfilling in this assignment would be put on your best friend hat and think this is another way to approach it. What would I tell this person if they called me with this commission under this deadline, knowing the quality of their work? And the timeline and the pressure that they're under, and the circumstances of the assignment. Hmm. So that's a flip side, and those things, like you said, having Kyle to work with, with he wears a different mental hat than you do for most of the time. Is I have one of my podcast episodes is actually the analogy of changing hats, and it has to do with that: take off your creative hat, your subjective hat, and put on your objective, what I call the objective hat, the business hat, and the other way of thinking, you know, left brain, right brain kind of analogy. So I think you are right on with the way that you are conducting and creating your business with someone who thinks differently than you do.
0: Yeah, you have to network, you have to have mentors. You have have to
1: know your weaknesses too, and where your strengths lie. You
0: have to be humble too, and listen.
1: That's huge. You know, that's huge. And you have to be willing to take I think encouragement and compliments as well as constructive criticism. I think we fall down on that where artists have trouble taking in what's being given to us because even if it's a good thing, we are self-conscious or not confident, you know. So I think that humble, but at the same time being able to accept praise and encouragement, it's kind of a, a balance, So this business that we're talking about, tell me about, you have a program for people that will provide social media exposure for your business, right? And your products. Tell me about this, this incentive program.
0: Yes, we have a trusted creator program where if you have a social media presence, we will give you a product that you can give away as prizes or have coupons that you can put on your website so that your your fans can can try this stuff. And the Trusted Creator program is all explained on the website. So we have Nathaniel, who's our um, media, uh, social media guy, and he'll take a look at how many followers you have and stuff like that. And we'll send you free uh, sketchbooks, like like this one, or paper pads. And they're, they're premium products. People love them. And usually when people try the sketchbook, they they want to order again. So we would love to be able to send you some sample products that you can use as promotion. Just fill out the form and Nathaniel will get back to you. Yeah, we have a, a fellow, an artist, his name is uh, Jacob Daly, and he has a website called Daily Dots. And he actually contacted us because he absolutely loved the way the sketchbook. He just said, this is by far better than moleskin. This is the best sketch. He's just going on and on and on. It's like, okay. And so we he was one of our first trusted creators and he's been promoting it. He's been giving it away. And he's very enthusiastic about the products. You might want to try it and see if you like it.
1: I can't wait. Yeah.
0: We'd love to have you involved because social media is is really one of the biggest ways that that, that the word gets out nowadays.
1: Yes, it absolutely is. And before I ask you, we're coming up on time, but before I ask you our last question, I would love to know, I'm curious what you were saying about your business. Did you say that you have a location in Northern Ireland? How did that come about?
0: When I started this this business, it's, we sell on Amazon. So I took a course in it. And the more markets you sell, the, the better. So we launched in Europe so we're we're in like 14 countries in europe and um the the way that it works with amazon is is you you uh you have to have a separate warehouse uh because amazon doesn't want a warehouse they want to they want to sell it they don't want to warehouse it so every time they they need it you, you ship in a few boxes and then amazon will put it in, in their warehouses throughout the country. So there might be like four sketchbooks in, in an Amazon warehouse near your house so they can get it to you the next day. And, uh, and so, yeah, we, we, uh, I designed the sketchbook, sourced it overseas in China and Malaysia. And, uh, and we've been doing this for seven years now. And, uh, it, it's, it's exciting. Is there is a creative side to it. Yeah, so check it out, Lead Art Supply on Amazon. We also have our own website. It's the Shopify page, so we sell on both platforms.
1: Excellent. Well, I'm going to be linking up to that too. I want our listeners to be able to find your trusted creator program and naturally your website itself to check out your products and find out more. So, Gary, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so excited to meet you and to share your amazing work with all of our listeners and i would love for you to wrap us up with your best advice for the artists listening who want to gain exposure for the art that they create
0: well i would say get on all the social media that you can pinterest linkedin instagram facebook you might want to begin with just one because it can be overwhelming. Probably the the easiest way to market would be on Etsy because they already have a a large audience that are going to Etsy and it's not very expensive. So I would say network, join art organizations, listen to people that are more experienced. It's something that is gonna take work and it's not gonna happen immediately, but it begins to snowball. The more exposure you get, it only makes you look better for other areas and so uh, social media networking taking classes doing your own independent research all of those things will help you improve your position as an artist
1: this wraps up my interview with collage artist g.j gillespie you can see numerous examples of gary's work in the show notes at passionatepainterpodcast.com slash episode 98 I do plan to participate in Gary's Trusted Creators program When I do, I'll let you know And don't forget I appreciate every one of you Feel free to reach out and let me know what you're up to and how you're doing You can reach me at caroline at passionatepainterpodcast.com for comments and questions about the show or any of my online courses Until next time Go make something.